actually it's a question mark. You sit down. King Ezekiah not only does good stuff, he undergoes the bad stuff. Bulldozing the hill shrines, taking God at his word, keeping to Moses' contract with God. And God works things out for him. Six years into his 29th, Judah gets the Sovalab call as the northern Jews from Israel are packed off to Assyria for their punishment. A while later, the new king of Assyria, Senasherib, is also after some action. His army pulls up outside Jerusalem and threatens King Hezekiah with their unusual flexible terms. Surrender or die. Hezekiah goes into his headquarters for a long session with God. The new courier is here, gets the news, gets the news hot from heaven that Senhasharib Senashelibib's insults of God aren't going to work. Sure enough, Senashelib gets a visit from an angel with an attitude. Loses almost 200,000 men and leaps back to Nineveh. God says, that's for David, Ezekiah falls critically ill, but God has Isaiah literally stop the, uh, the sun in its tracks to prove to the king that he is going to survive. He does. That is, he survives. He gets a second innings of fifth, 15 extra years. God says again, for David, that later Isaiah talks of bad news for Ezekiah's descendants. They will get cut off even further than Israel to Babylon. Amen. Amen. I'm proving my eyes. Well done. <laughs> the second reading is from 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days Hezekiah fell mortally ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him with a message from Yahweh. Put your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not live. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh. Ah, Yahweh, remember how I have walked before you in truth and wholeheartedly and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
Isaiah had not reached the central courtyard when the word of Yahweh came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, what Yahweh, the God of his father David, says. I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears, and now I will cure you. On the third day, you will go up to the house of Yahweh. See, I am adding 15 years to your life, and I will save you and this city from the power of the king of Assyria. I will defend it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that Yahweh will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh within three days? Isaiah answered, This shall be the sign for you in Yahweh's name, that Yahweh shall do what he has said. Do you wish the shadow of the second story to go forward ten steps or to go back? Hezekiah said, It is easy for the shadow to lengthen ten steps, but it shall be wonderful if the shadow goes back ten steps. The prophet Isaiah called on Yahweh, and Yahweh made the shadow go back ten steps, line by line, on the ten steps it had covered on the stairway. Isaiah then said, Bring a fig cake to rub on the ulcer, and let Hezekiah be be cured. At that time, Mordash Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and gifts to Hezekiah after hearing that he had reco- was recovering from his illness. Hezekiah rejoiced, so he showed the envoys his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fragrant oils, his weapons, and all that was in his treasury. There was nothing in this palace or in the that all that he possessed that Hezekiah did not show. Then the prophet Isaiah went to the king and said, What did these men say? Where did they come from? The king answered, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. Isaiah said, And what have you seen? What have they seen in your house? The king answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my treasuries that I did not show them. So Isaiah said to the king, Listen to this word of Yahweh. The days are coming when all that is in your house and all that was your fathers that your fathers have stored up in this day shall be taken to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Yahweh. Some of your people, sons who are born to your blood, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah answered Isaiah. What you say is a good word from Yahweh. For he thought, what does it matter? Just so I have peace and security in my lifetime. Now the rest regarding Hezekiah and all about his bravery, how he built a great reservoir and how he supplied water to the city is written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. When Hezekiah slept with his fathers, his son Manasseh reigned in his place. The extension of the life granted to Hezekiah. 
In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point to go on. This is 2 Chronicles. Two Chronicles 32. I'm starting from, from verse 24. The extension of the life granted to Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick, was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him, gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And this is now six, the greatness of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made him for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gion and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so, in the matter of the envoys and the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to try him and to know all that was in his heart. Two weeks ago I I came and um, I had this on my heart um, about what I was going to preach on. Uh, And um, the preacher mentioned about Hezekiah and I thought, ooh, (laughs) Because that is what, um, and he said about the praying for 15 years and God answering the prayer um, and giving 15 years more life. Uh, and my reading on it is slightly different, so I was going to give my take on it, which is slightly different because he was talking about waiting on God. So I'm doing the negative side or the the opposite side or the dark side, perhaps. Um, not so much waiting on God. But the patience and the long suffering. Um, so, and why maybe God shouldn't have given 15 years, and why I think this is a lesson to us about sometimes what we want and what we ask for, we shouldn't get. Okay, and that's why we often don't get it because we want something, but just because we want it doesn't mean we get it. Because as children, obviously we want the sweets now. We want home time now. We want to play now. In fact, we want to stay up till whenever in the morning. Uh, and then not be grumpy the next day. But you can't do that, um, and you learn that perhaps as an adult, but you don't learn it as a child. So the title of my sermonette is um, The Fruit of the Spirit, or The Fruit Less Bitten, Long-Suffering, Patience, Perseverance, and Self-Control slash Meekness. And we've had the three readings looking at this. 
And I suppose one of my questions is, how do we live when we want to cope with suffering and affliction? Well, one of the best things to do is to avoid it. Uh, and then you don't have to cope with it. And, you know, you can just have an easy life. Uh, so certainly the world teaches us that the easy life, avoiding suffering and affliction, is the thing to do. But we all need a sense of purpose, something to live for. And um, the suffering servant says, follow me and live the way he does. And, um, yeah. So back to the readings. Hezekiah was a good king, but he wasn't a perfect king and he didn't do it all right. Now, we shouldn't really have asked for a sign, I don't think, because... (laughs) But he did ask for a sign and he asked for 15 years more life. And he, well, I think he asked for 15 years because he got 15 years. But during that 15 years, he was complacent and he was, well, he didn't have to try anymore. He just kind of relaxed and cruised. Now, the problem with that is that he brought up his son Manasseh in the same way. And his son Manasseh said, well, if I don't have to try and I don't have to bother. Manasseh was not a good king. And Judah fell. And so the consequences of Hezekiah's actions are slightly bigger than we think. Because at the start, it's a nice pretty story, but then when you actually think about it, this whole kingdom of Judah was led astray. And it all came from this period of extra life. And if he hadn't had this extra life and he got his house in order and he passed on, would Judah have stayed Good. Would the whole kingdom of Judah not follow this round and have had one good kingdom and one naughty kingdom, as it were? So I give that to you. According to the Talmud, um, which is some Jewish teaching about the Bible, they say the disease came about because of a dispute between Hezekiah and Isaiah over who should pay whom a visit over Hezekiah's refusal to marry and have children. So... That is allegedly how this disease came about. Um, And in the end, Hezekiah married Isaiah's daughter. But Hezekiah, from all accounts in the Talmud and other things, seems to be a proud person. And obviously pride comes before a fall, and clearly there was a fall. Babylon sends its envoys, gives him some gold and says some pretty words to him and he shows them everything Um, and sometimes you know revealing everything to strangers who might have a hostile intent is not a good idea and certainly he lacked wisdom and he didn't pray about it first and it this was going to be the threat that was going to cause the fall of Judah or part of you know be the retribution when Judah was completely conquered after they had turned away uh, with Manasseh Um, For those who don't know Manasseh, I'll tell you a few more bits of scripture. Manasseh did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nation whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray. He made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So that's three different verses, all saying much the same thing and all talking about Manasseh. But in the end, Manasseh did repent and did do good at the very end. But it took him a very, very long period and he'd already destroyed the country and made it go bad. And then his son was another naughty king um, uh, who who did bad. But the whole question is, where did that come from? And it came from the 15 years 
of extra life where Hezekiah was coasting because he knew he had 15 more years, so he enjoyed them. So the story shows us the consequences of answering prayers the way we want them answered. But God knows best, not us. And often it's in God's time and God's way. And God's time and God's way quite often isn't our way or our time. In the Old Testament, God's offers a choice between life and death and blessings and curses. Perhaps to us in the West, the choice is between complacency or suffering. To choose to go deeper and to go further in and further up and to get closer to God, we have to choose to suffer a bit because you have to risk a bit to get close to people, to get closer to God, to put yourself out there. It's easy not to do that. As scripture says, any person who makes it their object to keep their own life will lose it. And anyone who sacrifices their life will preserve it. And we can't lean on our own understanding. Because if we did, we'd always go for the quick fix, easy solution. Because why wouldn't you? Quick fix, easy solution. Well, that's solved. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I have it now. You know, have it delivered. Uh, that, that is the easy. That's the armchair general, the football coach, um, you know, in the back of the cab. The hairdresser's um, answer to everything. No offence meant, Sandy. <laughs> but, you know, if you are just looking at something and you think you know best, but you don't have skin in the game and your life isn't on the line... But it is different when you have skin in the game and your life is on the line and you're not doing it as a, you know, saying what the coach should have done um, differently on, with the football team or saying what the politicians should have done differently in the House of Commons or Lords. It's, it's different if you're not actually there and doing it and obviously feeling the pressures. And for us to be involved in the community and making things happen and making things change, we have to be available and vulnerable. And both of those things cause us to have to exercise patience and long-serving, uh, long-suffering, sorry, uh, which is perseverance or forbearance. The problem with um, long-suffering is there's only one way to get it, and um, that's to suffer long. Uh, now I know we'd all like patience now, or indeed yesterday, as I was being told earlier. If you can have patience yesterday, it's a lot, a lot easier for today. Uh, unfortunately, patience doesn't work like that. Long-suffering doesn't work like that. Forbearance, that's to bear things that you wouldn't want to bear with it for, for, for longer than you'd want to bear with it. And certainly, an angry bear is something you don't really want to spend too much time with. Uh, and you certainly don't want a bear hug with it. But if you are having a bear hug with forbearance, you just have to keep holding on, because if you let go, it will maul you. Um, that, you know, it, uh, if that helps you think about it there is a time when you might be struggling with this sort of bear then that is a season of time that you know there are times and seasons when we have them um, as it says in Ecclesiastes there's a time for mourning and a time to die these aren't times we like these are times we would rather not have but they are part of life and sometimes it's for such a time as this that we have to confront that. And I suppose there's something that you might have heard of in theology or whatever called the dark night of the soul. Yeah. That's when things really go bad for you. Now, it might not be for you, but it might be for your neighbour or your friend. That's when someone needs most help. 
Um, Jesus had the dark night of his soul, and it wasn't quite night even, when he said, why have you forsaken me? At that point, he felt like God had forsaken him and that he was on his own. Uh, and if Jesus feels that, how much so, you know, Jesus has felt that, we will possibly too feel that and we will possibly have a time like that. And even if we don't have a time like that ourselves, we might have Job's friends coming to talk to us. Um, we might have Hosea's wife or husband, in inverted commas. Um, and if you are living with someone who... Hosea's wife was a prostitute, in case you didn't know, and was... How do I phrase it? Caused Hosea much heartache. Let's go with that. That's a good euphemism. Um, but God was with Hosea during that period. But that is certainly a period of suffering and forbearance for Hosea. And Job's friends gave advice that they thought was good, but it wasn't particularly good and it wasn't encouraging and it didn't really help Job at all. And there are times when some of our friends are like that. And then even if, even if we're not doing anything wrong and we're righteous and everything's groovy for us spiritually with God... There's a prophet called Jeremiah, and he's known for being the weeping prophet because, well, he suffered. And God showed him the suffering of his people, and he suffered. And in fact, there's a piece of scripture, the shortest verse in the Bible, that says Jesus wept. Um, and so if Jesus is going to do it and we're going to follow him, then we're probably going to do it too, especially if we care. Uh, and I do think that's what God wants us to do. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is a very... What's the word? Easy thing to think from Sunday school, and some of us might have forgotten it. So let's look at that. In the Old Testament, at the very beginning, there's an apple, in inverted commas, in Scripture, that was the fruit in the garden that we ate, and that was a problem. But I don't think it was the fruit of the Spirit, as it were, is so much an apple, because an apple is one fruit, one thing. Well, I think it's more like a pomegranate or an orange, because it has segments to it. Um, I remember seeing some posters with the fruit of the spirit and it had bananas, grapes, apples and all the different fruits there. And the idea being that the banana was like love or whatever and the orange was like, I don't know, joy or whatever. The, the, the Love and joy being the popular fruits of the spirit because who doesn't want love and joy? Anyone doesn't want love and joy? Yeah, so they're the easy sell ones. So the ones I'm talking about are the less easy sour ones. So like a box of chocolates, usually at the end, there's a few left that no one wants to eat, be it the strawberry ones, or the, or, I don't know, if you're strawberryist, um, or orange ones if you're orangist, or, I don't know, the nutty ones if you don't like nuts. Depending on your household and everyone's makeup, you, you will find that the ones people like go first, and the ones that are less popular, maybe the white chocolate ones or the dark chocolate ones, I don't know, your household might be different. Maybe it's the chewy ones. In, in American politics, there's a saying that if you talk about motherhood and apple pie, no one can disagree with you, and then you can get votes, and that's what you should do. Always talk about things like apple pie and motherhood. Um, so I think love and joy being the most popular fruit of the spirits that everyone wants to have because who doesn't want love and joy are like the applehood apple pie sorry and motherhood kind of things that you know no one could disagree with no one can say you shouldn't have love and you shouldn't have joy no one will tell you that but long suffering and patience people people say well we should have it now or you shouldn't have to suffer 
and, and, and sometimes we do have to suffer, unfortunately. This is something called maturity. And, and the way I see it is, the problem with the fruit of the Spirit is, the bit that makes you grow the most is the bit at the back, as it were, and that is the long-suffering and the patience, the bit you wouldn't want to eat first, because who would? But going deeper and wrestling with God and actually trying to do that is, is what we need to do for maturity. Now, I never wanted to wrestle with God because I thought, well, what's the point? He's going to win. I can't beat God, so I'll just roll over. You know, I'm not going to wrestle with God because Jacob wrestled with God. But I, I do think God wants us to wrestle with him, to struggle with him over some things, to try and, well, to try and get ahead around difficult issues because it's about changing us. It's not about changing God or because God doesn't know. In, in some ways, if you're waiting for God in terms of prayer because God doesn't know your problem and therefore you're telling God about the problem, well, God knows about the problem before you encountered it. So it's not about telling God or telling God the solution because that's not God's problem. God doesn't not know your problem and God doesn't know not know the solution. You might not know the solution. You might not know the time frame and you might not know how you have to change in order to cope. But God does, and often that's not in your time or the way you'd like. But it is what you need to do. If you put aside your need to win and to come first, and you humble yourself before God, then then you may have to wrestle with God and, and wrestle with an issue. And I suppose, who here looks likes pudding? If you're having a meal, who likes pudding? All right, See if I get as many hands when I say you're greens. Who likes their greens? Oh, wow, you're an unusual audience. Oh, dear. Okay. But we need both. We do need, we do need to have some sort of dessert in our life, some sort of sweetness like love and joy. But we also need the greens, the, the things that give us the, the fibre and the, the long-suffering and the patience. Although no one really wants their greens necessarily, but we know they're good for us. And if we're all mature, like you guys are, in terms of your spirituality, because you're all wanting greens, so you know that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And the fruit of the Spirit is contrasted with the works of the flesh, which immediately precede it in the chapter. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that these who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if I go a bit Catholic on you, I'm not particularly Catholic, but on this case I will, they list 12 fruits of the Spirit, which is, I can't really disagree with them. So here they are. Charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, in brackets, kindness, goodness, longnamity, which they call forbearance. I love that term, longnamity. Hadn't come across it before, but that's a really interesting one. Mildness or gentleness, faith, modesty, continuity or self-control and chastity. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting um, list that they've got for their fruit of the Spirit. Um, but I suppose if we are going to deal with patience and long-suffering, and we're not going to run away, 
And if we are going to run away, you've got Nineveh, where you could run away to, or Babylon, which in the Bible pictures confusion, or Egypt, which in the Bible generally pictures slavery, or Tarshish, which um, Jonah ran away to, um, and that's the unknown edge of the world, as it were, in, in, in the Bible times. So I'm not quite sure where that would be today, but certainly that's running away is an option, I suppose, but that isn't what God calls us to do. He calls us to stand and to be there. One of my friends got mugged um, some time ago and he prayed for God to ask why he got mugged. Because why did he suffer? Why did he experience this? And when he prayed about it, he had a dream that night and he dreamed that someone else got mugged and it went really badly for them because they weren't a big beefy chappy like he was. Uh, and he thought, well, given the choice between this other person getting mugged, who was suffered much more than me, and me with just a couple of bruises, well, it's better that I got mugged. And so that was the dream he got, and that was the answer he got. And I just thought that was one of those things where, when bad things do happen, and you know, when prayers aren't answered, and when things, sometimes God will give you an answer why. And I just thought that was a very interesting why. It's not something, you know, it's not the why he wanted. He obviously wanted that person stopped, and you know. He didn't want it to happen to him, but who does want things to happen to them? We all want things to be nice for us, but sometimes they aren't. Now, meekness. Some people think meekness means weakness because they sound the same. And M's and W's, well, they're easy to confuse if you get them the wrong way up. But the word for meekness means, well, war horses were described as meek. And a war horse isn't in any way weak. If it was weak, it wouldn't be a war horse. Meekness is about being able to act at the right time when the order is given, but holding fast and being able to be self-controlled and not responding because someone slags you off, in inverted commas, or does something that offends you. But you wait till the right time to do the right act in a measured way. And that is maturity and that's self-control. And Jesus is described as meek. And I think, you know, he was meek and he didn't use force generally, apart from maybe the moneylenders at the temple where he did exercise force and he did show that he has some things he won't tolerate. I think the problem with long suffering and patience is generally those people who are struggling with these are good people. And the reason they're good people is because this is about when the refining fires at its hottest the last impurity to come out of gold is silver. And silver is good. No one disputes that silver is a good metal. In fact, silver is one of those wanted metals and it is a precious metal. But it isn't gold. Um, and so if you are struggling with long-suffering and patience, and that's what you're dealing with, and maybe waiting for a minister, as you said you were giving the word about waiting, well, long-suffering and, and, and patience is about this. It's about letting go of the silver, letting go of what is really good and what is really precious, but not quite as good and not quite as precious as being refined to gold. And if we are following in Jesus' footsteps, then we are going to have to look at how we mature and how we grow. Um, in scripture, there's something called Peter's ladder. I'm assuming some of you have come across this in 2 Peter 1, 4 to 11. But for this very reason, be diligent and maybe diligence is the place to start. So if you haven't already looked at Peter's ladder, maybe do. 
add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being inefficient and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And if we are going to be light and salt in this earth, then we're going to have to cope with things like complaining, which Moses coped with, like people wanting to look backwards and not go forwards, like Lot's wife. Because dwelling on the past isn't going to help us. There is a place for reminiscing, but not for it stopping us from moving forward. We don't need to be disheartened and brought down. We do need to move forward. And you might be struggling with a thorn in the flesh like Paul was struggling with. And Paul prayed for it to be taken away, but God said no. Because the long-suffering and the patience and the endurance of it made Paul better character than he would have been otherwise. And if you have a boil or an inflammation like Hezekiah, well, I'm not asking for your medical history, maybe you could ask for God to take it away. And maybe God will. And maybe it's right. But maybe he won't. And if he doesn't, it's not because God doesn't love you. It may well be because that is the character building thing he needs you to be struggling with, wrestling with, wrestling with him with. Um, You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of suffering in life. And if you're going to have empathy for other people who are suffering, the best way to do it is to have suffered yourself. And unfortunately, no one wants to go through that crucible, that, that hot that heated element of going through suffering. But that is what we do in this life. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 say, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 even, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Now, my wife told me to end on a positive note. So I guess I better add Jesus into this talk because, you know, you can't get much more positive than Jesus. Uh, And I've got to do what my wife says because that makes her happy and that gives me an easy life. So, (laughs) oh, maybe I'm cruising here doing what my wife said, but I I will anyway. So finally, to sum up my ending of Jesus, Jesus suffered. And if you don't believe he did, then I'd ask you to read Psalm 88 later. It's the most gothic, dark macabre psalm there is so if you are having a dark night of the soul and you don't think scripture speaks to you well psalm 88 is the most depressing psalm there is of how bad things are and that is the psalm that he was quoting when he said my god has forsaken me and that is the scripture that god was what jesus was reciting when he was on the cross um and you know i don't i'm not going to quote it here and now But Jesus prevailed and he went through the suffering and he came out the other side and you will too. I'm going to quote the Catholic Catechism, um, not something I normally quote, but this is based on scripture and I quite like this. Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Christ ascended into heaven 
signifying his participation in his humanity. In God's power and authority, Jesus Christ is Lord. He possesses all power in heaven and on earth. He is far above all rule and authority of power and dominion, for the Father has put all things under his feet. Christ is Lord of the cosmos and of history. In him, human history and indeed all creation are set forth and transcendently fulfilled. Um, I thought that was a nice bit of their catechism. Um, maybe looks at Jesus. And Hezekiah, kind of as an ancestor of Jesus, prefigures him as a sort of king that Jesus is like. Although Jesus is kind of better than Hezekiah, really. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, Then I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, when they will look towards me, whom they pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves in a firstborn. And then Revelations 1.7 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Yes, amen. So there is mourning coming, and the question is whether you mourn now or mourn later. Um, and maybe going through suffering and getting from the morning is, is having that weeping experience now that others will have later. Um, so the question perhaps is not if you will suffer and if you'll be patient. The question is, do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? And if you're going to do it later, you're going to be able to help less people. And if you do it now and get through it, you're able to help more people. Psychologists say that crying helps us process grief and be healthy And so if we suffer long and weep like Jesus wept, then we too will be more healthy. There is a place for that. Self-control in the presence of affliction leads to bravery and courage. Bravery is the ability to confront pain, danger or attempts out of intimidation without any feelings of fear. It is strength in character that allows a person to always be seemingly bigger than the crisis whether he is indeed more powerful or lesser than what he is facing. Courage, on the other hand, is the ability to undertake an overwhelming difficulty or pain despite the eminent and avoidable, unavoidable presence of fear. So whether you're overcoming fear or not, there is a place for bravery and courage. But that's about being self-controlled enough and ready enough to respond Psalm 27.14 says, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So if we are to wait on the Lord, the question comes, How long, O Lord? One you might have read in scripture once or twice. The problem for waiting for God's timing, or waiting for God to change his mind, as we know best, or for God to change us and or others, because others are wronger, and the wrongans need changing, is that sometimes we don't see clearly and it's us that needs to change. Psalm 30 verse 5 ends with, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And if you are experiencing, or one of your friends, a dark night of the soul, remember the darkest hour of the dark night of the soul is the one before the dawn. And it does matter what your mind dwells on. You might not think it does, but it does. 
So there was a famous hit by Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush called Don't Give Up. I don't know if you know that song. When it was played on the radios and when it was in the charts, the suicide rate in all the major cities in the world went down. It went down because people were thinking about not giving up. We know that it does have an effect and that people are influenced by what they're thinking about. And what you choose to dwell on So if you choose to dwell on not giving up and carrying on, then you will be more effective and you will have able to help more people. Now it will be hard sometimes, even all the time for a season. But there's another piece of scripture. This too shall pass. And I can't promise you everything will be better straight away, but I can say it will pass. And suddenly you'll have clear eyesight and things will have moved on. And suddenly you might have a pastor. But these things will pass. But there is a season for that. I've got my last two readings here, which are verses. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It doesn't say we won't go through trials, it just says that we need to have the character and to go through the trials. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So to conclude, in the presence of suffering and affliction, we all need a sense of purpose, something to live for. The suffering servant says, follow me. So Jesus. Jesus has a sense of purpose. Jesus has something to live for and something for others to follow, as well as you. Thank you.